0: Letter twenty six of Clarissa Harlow, Volume three. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Larry Wilson. Clarissa Harlow, Volume three, by Samuel Richardson. Chapter twenty six. Mr. Lovelace to John Belford, Esquire, in continuation. But is it not a confounded thing that I cannot fasten an obligation upon this proud beauty? I have two motives in endeavouring to prevail upon her, to accept of money and raiment from me. One, the real pleasure I should have in the accommodating of the haughty maid, and to think that there was something near her and upon her that I could call mine. The other, in order to abate her severity and humble her a little." nothing more effectually brings down a proud spirit than a sense of lying under pecuniary obligations this has always made me solicitous to avoid laying myself under any such yet sometimes formerly i have been put to it and cursed the tardy resolution of the quarterly periods and yet i have ever made shift to avoid anticipation i never would eat the calf in the crow's belly as Lord M.'s phrase is. For what is that but to hold our hands up, tenant courtesy, the vilest of all tenures, to be denied a fox-chase for breaking down a fence upon my own grounds, to be clamoured at for repairs studied for rather than really wanted, to be prated to by a bumpkin with his hat on and his arms folded as if he defied your expectations of that sort his foot firmly fixed as if upon his own ground, and you forced to take his arch leers and stupid jibes, he intimating by the whole of his conduct that he had had it in his power to oblige you, and if you behave civilly may oblige you again. I who think I have a right to break every man's head I pass by, if I like not his looks to bear this, no more could I do it, Then I could borrow of an insolent uncle, or inquisitive aunt who would thence think themselves entitled to have an account of all my life and actions laid before them for their review and censure my charmer i see has a pride like my own but she has no distinction in her pride nor knows the pretty fool that there is nothing nobler nothing more delightful than for loves to be conferring and receiving obligations from each other in this very farmyard to give thee a familiar instance i have more than once seen this remark illustrated a strutting rascal of a cock have i beheld chuck 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 chucking his mistress to him when he has found a single barleycorn, taking it up with his bill and letting it drop five or six times still repeating his chucking invitation and when two or three of his feathered ladies strive. Who shall be the first for it? Oh, Jack, a cock is a grand signor of a bird. He directs the bill of the foremost to it. And when she has got the dirty pearl, He struts over her with an erected crest, Cling round her with dropped wings, Sweeping the dust in humble courtship, While the obliged she, half shy, half willing, By her cowering tail, prepared wings, Yet seemingly affrighted eyes, and contracted neck, lets one see that she knows the barleycorn was not all he called her for. Now, Belford, canst thou imagine what I meant by proposing Hannah or one of the girls here for her attendant? I'll give thee a month to guess. Thou wilt not pretend to guess, thou sayest. Well, then I'll tell thee. Believing she would certainly propose to have that favorite wench about her, as soon as she was a little settled, I had caused the girl to be inquired after, with an intent to make interest, somehow or other, that a month's warning should be insisted on by her master or mistress, or by some other means, which I had not determined upon to prevent her coming to her. But fortune fights for me. The wench is luckily ill.' A violent rheumatic disorder, which has obliged her to leave her place, confines her to her chamber. Poor Hannah! How I pity the girl! These things are very hard upon industrious servants. I intend to make the poor wench a small present on the occasion. I know it will oblige my charmer. And so Jack, pretending not to know anything of the matter, I pressed her to send for Hannah! she knew i had always a regard for this servant because of her honest love to her lady but now i have greater regard for her than ever calamity though a poor servant's calamity will rather increase than diminish good-will with a truly generous master or mistress as to one of the young sorling's attendants there was nothing at all in proposing that for if either of them had been chosen by her and permitted by the mother two chances in that it would have been only till i had fixed upon another and if afterwards they had been loth to part i could easily have given my beloved to a jealousy which would have done the business or to the girl who would have quitted her country dairy such a relish for a london one and as would have made it very convenient for her to fall in love with will or perhaps i could have done still better for her with "'Lord M.'s chaplain, who is very desirous of standing well "'with his lord's presumptive heir. "'A blessing on thy honest heart, Lovelace, thou'lt say, "'for thou art providing for everybody.' "'Is not this fair play? Is it not dealing ingenuously? "'Then the observation, I will be bold to say, "'is founded in truth and nature. "'But there was a little touch of policy in it besides.' that the lady, if I should fly out again, should not think me too gross and hypocrite, for, as I plainly told her, I was afraid that my fits of reformation were but fits and sallies, but I hoped her example would fix them into habits. But it is so discouraging a thing to have my monitress so very good. I protest I know not how to look up at her, now, as I am thinking, if I could pull her down a little nearer to my own level, that is to say, could prevail upon her to do something that would argue imperfection, something to repent of, we should jog on much more equally, and be better able to comprehend one another. And so the comfort would be mutual, and the remorse not all on one side. This lady says serious things in so agreeable a manner and then her voice is all harmony when she touches a subject she is pleased with—that I could have listened to her for half a day together. But yet I am afraid if she falls, as they call it, she will lose a good deal of that pathos, of that noble self-confidence which gives a good person, as I now see, a visible superiority over one not so good. But after all, Belford— I would fain know why people call such free-livers as you and me hypocrites. That's a word I hate, and should take it very ill to be called by it. For myself, I have as good motions, and perhaps have them as frequently as anybody. All the business is, they don't hold, or speak more in character. I don't take the care some do to conceal my lapses. End of letter 26